Okay, thank you. Okay, we, uh, uh, if you want to turn to uh, Genesis chapter 16, I, I want to just quick walk through where we've been. Uh, we have been uh, uh, walking through, we've called it the storyline of the Bible. And that is understanding it's not just a bunch of events that have happened, but there is a purpose and a plan to all of this. So we began by talking about why would God create the world. And he created this world as a stage on which he would be able to display his love, his, his glory, his goodness. And, and he uh, created Adam and Eve as the king and queen of creation to take uh, uh, the Garden of Eden and to expand that throughout the earth, and they failed miserably. And so with that failure, God raises up Noah. Noah found grace in the midst of... All the evil that was there, the, the, the statements are profound when you read them, that, that every imagination of the heart was only evil continually. You know, it sounds like today, you know, doesn't it? Uh, and, uh, uh, and as a result of that, God sent a flood, destroyed everyone except Noah and his family. And, uh, and, and so here is the second Adam. But he messes up as well. And just as the whole society caved in, so it happens again. We ended up at Babel, no hope, you know, uh, men scattered, languages confused. They're going to build this tower that reaches to heaven. God has to come down and find it, you know, didn't, didn't displace him from the throne. And then we come to chapter 12, and there is Abraham. And Abraham becomes the second Adam. Actually, the, there's Adam, and then there's Noah, and then there's Abraham. And so uh, we have talked about Abraham being the channel of blessing. We're going to try to make that point uh, even a little bit stronger today. So already we've looked at how God is counter, going to counter Babel. He's going to redirect it. And he's going to plant hope. There's going to be hope. It's, it's not the end. As dark as it may seem, that is not the end. And then we talked about Abraham being the father of promise. Just as we have a heavenly father, in some sense, Abraham is going to become the father that through which this promise is going to come. Abraham isn't just getting the promise and the blessing. He does that, but it's going to flow through him to everyone else. So last time we looked at chapter 15. Chapter 15, one of the most critical passages in the scripture. That passage in, in uh, Genesis 15, uh, 6 is quoted over and over again, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so God makes the covenant with Abraham. God goes between the, the animals with the, the smoking fire pot, and he establishes a covenant. Now, a covenant, we talked about that, it, it's a promise that's formalized. It, it's stronger than just a promise. Now, today, we're going to press on and look at the covenant sign of circumcision. What's that all about? We're going to look at the covenant task. What is Abraham supposed to do? He's supposed to be the channel of blessing. You're going to see God actually swearing, not cursing the way we use the term, 
but swearing that he's going to do this because God can't swear by anyone greater. He swears by himself. It gives you a sense of how important it is. And then we're going to look and see that the mission of God is what we're involved in as a church. You know, we're directly tied to what God was doing back there, and ultimately it points forward to the promised seed, and that promised seed is Jesus Christ himself. So we said last week about this, uh, the covenant that was made, and in chapter 15, God assures Abraham that he's going to follow through in his promise. Abraham says, wait a minute, I don't have a child, you know, I don't have a land, uh, this doesn't seem to be working out. And God reassures Abraham, and he says, your offspring's going to be like the stars of the heavens, like the sand on the seashore. The land promise is going to be delivered. You're going to have a family, uh, and you're going to experience the blessing. So they uh, do the, uh, the covenant ceremony. God cuts the covenant. That's the term that's used in order to describe the process of doing that God himself walks between them in a sense saying I'm the one that's going to make this happen you know Abraham didn't walk through that with them because Abraham's going to fail just like everybody else did you know everybody along the way fails whether it's Abraham or whether it's Elijah or whether it's Moses or whether it's David ultimately there has to be one that's going to come and going to succeed you know and that is the promise that's pointing forward to Jesus Christ so uh, God alone is going to accept the responsibility for this covenant to make sure that it happens. So Abram will have a family, and he will have the land as a promise. Now remember in chapter 15, he said, God said, you're going to have a great family. He says, well, Eliezer is going to be my heir. That's his steward, you know, his chief assistant. And God said, no, not going to be him. So we press on today to look at the covenant sign, but before we get to chapter 17, who knows what's in Genesis 16? We have one of the most interesting stories. What happens in Genesis 16? Hagar. Now, I, I wish we, we could take a, a couple of weeks just going through this. Man, there's a lot to learn, you know. Uh, uh, Sarah comes up with this idea, you know, if it's not going to be Eliezer, I got an idea. You know, why don't you take my handmaid and you can have a son by him and uh, what would you say? Well, you don't have to answer that. Uh, anyhow, uh, they followed that through and they thought this is the one and God says, no, that, that's, that's not going to be the one. We come to chapter 17. I want you to turn to this. We're going to read some of this together uh, uh, because it's so profoundly important. When Abram was 99 years old, now you got to get hold of that. Remember, Sarah's 90, Abraham's 99, okay? And I look at Abraham and don't say, why, why does this man, why didn't he just trust God? Well, if I were 99, you know, and Ann were 90, and I'm waiting for a son, I'm beginning to think, I don't know how this is going to work out, right? And, and so we come to this passage, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between you, me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Now that's what he said before. 
But still, this is years later, he doesn't have a son. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations. I'll make you very fruitful, and will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land, see, there's the seed, the children, the family. Then he says, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now, do you hear what he's saying right here? is the affirmation of the promise. He made the promise in Genesis 12, promised to give him a land, a seed, and a blessing. He makes a covenant in chapter 15, and but the things still don't seem to be coming together. And so in 17, God comes back and says, listen, I haven't forgotten this. I'm going to do this. Abram's 99 years old, so we have some time that's passed. And then look at verse 9. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you must be circumcised. Now, the, the covenant here was cut in chapter 15. Now it's being confirmed. And so you have the, the Hebrew term, Hakim, that he uses there. And in the context of this, Abraham, Abram gets a new name. So, you know, uh, uh, when you hear the word Abba, father, what does Abba mean? Daddy. You know, the, the Hebrew word for father is the word av, or ab, depending on, on the, the pointing of that. And so ab, father, raham, father of many nations. That's what it means. From Abram to Abraham, he's going to be the father of many nations. And I want to tell you, friends, that promise continues to open up. Every time someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, this promise is being fulfilled once again. There's going to be a new responsibility. Even though God's going to do all of this, it's not like, you know, just get on the gospel train and chug your way onto heaven and sit back and relax. Okay? No, there, there's a responsibility that Abraham has, and now it is to keep the covenant by the circumcision, by the right that God sets out. It's going to become the sign of the covenant. You know, just as in Noah, what was the sign of the Noah covenant? The rainbow. You know, this has a sign, now it's the covenant. When we come to the Mosaic Covenant, uh, what's the sign of that? Anybody remember? That's the Sabbath day. 
You know, when we come to, you know, the new covenant, you know, it's the, this is my body, this is my blood. So throughout the covenants, when they're formalized, just the way if you uh, go to sell a piece of property, you know, I don't shake hands with John and say, okay, here's $100,000 for this house, and, well, I guess it's 400000 now. But, uh, and we shake hands, no, we do that, then we got to go to a lawyer, pay him 500 bucks to have him stamp something on there that says it's notarized. Well, in a sense, that's what's happening here. It's formalized, so that becomes the sign of a covenant. And then you have this promise that you're going to have a son. It's not going to be through Hagar. And by the way, we don't have time to talk about this, but, but uh, uh, Islam has picked up this uh, scenario about Ishmael and said, well, that's where all the Arabs came from. They know it's not true. They've used that because they want to connect with the Bible, you know, and, and get some ground. But we'll have to talk about that another time. But there were a lot of other Arabs around, you know, at that point of time. And so those that want to connect Ishmael with Arabs, they, even their scholars admit that's not right, but they use it because it's helpful. Uh, anyhow, just a, a, a thought. So uh, look, at, uh, look at this passage. Let me go down to chapter 17, verse 15. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. 99? 90. Okay. <laughs> I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, kings, of people, uh, uh, of nations, kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live. See, Abraham says, I got a better idea. Let's let's get real. You know, let, let's recognize this isn't gonna happen. And he laughs at all of this. Then God says, Yes, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you'll call his name Isaac. What does Isaac mean? Laughter. You know, you're going to see in just a bit uh, when this is uh, 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 emphasized again with the angels coming, uh, Sarah's going to laugh. So Abraham laughed, Sarah laughed. If you'd have been there, you would have laughed too, you know. And so we don't want to be too hard on them and say, well, why didn't they just trust God? Well, there's a lot going on here. And God said, no, Sarah is going to have a son. Now look at the words. Your wife Sarah will have a son, verse 19. You will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, he's going to become a great nation, but that's not the line of the covenant. He's going to move off to the side. The, the covenant, you're going to see this throughout. It's going to continue to narrow down. You know, then with Jacob, you know, uh, 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 with Isaac, it's Jacob and Esau. But it's not Esau, it's Jacob. 
you know, and then with Jacob, he has 12 sons, and it's not Reuben, the firstborn, but it's Judah. You know, and you see that continuing to narrow down until you come to Christ, the promised seed, and ultimately that begins to open up. So Sarah is going to have the son. Now, look at the covenant task. You need to get hold of this. You remember the account of the three visitors that come to Abraham? It seems to be two angels and Jehovah himself. Uh, uh, notice in verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 1, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Now, Lots of questions. Who are, are there three men? Are there, what's happening here? We're not going to get into that, but I want you to see the point of this. These three divine visitors that come are, are going to come and tell them uh, uh, about what is about to take place. And that's the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, again, another area that we could go into, uh, we don't have time to look at that in detail, uh, but, but one of the, the most uh, important verses in this section is in chapter uh, 18. Uh, look at verse 18. The Lord, uh, let me go back just a, a verse before that, verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. Abraham will become a nation. All nations on earth will be blessed through him. You see the, the sense, not just Abraham is blessed, but the blessing is going to come through him, for I have chosen him. Now, we often use this verse in ways that, that miss the full impact. I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and household after him to keep the way of the Lord. What's the way of the Lord? It's the covenant that he's establishing. This is what this is all about. By doing what is right and just, so the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. We can take the rest of the lesson on that verse. What a great verse. And you see, Abraham has a part but God is the one directing all of this. This is going to happen, not because Abraham's going to pull it off, but because God's going to see it through. He's the one that walked between the animals. And then, you know the rest of the story, that, you know, Abraham uh, bargains with God, well, you know, how, how can you destroy all of these people? What if there are 50 left? You know, and he actually whittles it down to 10, and God says if there are 10. I'm not going to destroy it for 10, but you better tell the people to get out because Lot and his daughters and his wife, uh, there are four of them that we can identify that God's going to rescue. And uh, in chapter 19, we have the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a moving account. Uh, and uh, uh, what happens is uh, Lot and his family, they're reluctant to go. And you have to read the account. The angel grabbed them by the hand and dragged them away. And from the time I was a little boy, I remember the story about Lot's wife turning to a pillar of salt. You know, I'd love to see the video of that, what it actually looked like. I, I don't know all that that means, 
But that opens up the situation where Lot and his daughters, uh, they think this is the end of the world. Nobody left. And so they get pregnant by their own father. They become the Moabites and the Ammonites. We're going to see those throughout the Old Testament. Another twist in the story, but we can't follow that because we've got to get to chapter 21. Uh, chapter 20, we have Abraham and Abimelech. This is again where you know uh, uh, Abraham says, well, she's my wife, and he takes her into his harem, and God brings judgment against him. And you know, Abimelech finally, God says, y you're good as a dead man. Uh, he said, what have I done? And uh, he goes to Abraham and says, why do you do this? You set a trap for me, but we've got to pass on. There's two, there, I'll tell you, you want to take time to go through this. There is so much in here. Uh, I love this account, but we can't look at it. We've got to look at 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant. Actually, I want to go back. Uh, go back to, to chapter 19. Uh, no, where is it? I had this written down. Where is the section where Sarah laughed? Yeah, okay, I'm sorry, back, uh, uh, back to 18. Uh, verse 10, uh, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, you did. Okay, so... You, you see what's happening. God spoke to Abraham. God spoken to Sarah. Now when we come to chapter 21, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. Now, you get the point here. It's not so much Sarah and Abraham that they're pulling this thing off. You see this? I, I love the way it says that the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he said. He promised that. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah, 90-year-old lady, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. Now, I've got to pause for just a moment and read you uh, one of my favorite sections in Romans. Romans chapter 4, in verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. You know, Paul picks up on that. Again, that's the storyline. It's all flowing, you know, in this direction, and it's going to focus on this heir, this son that God promised. And so we read the account, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. 
When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abram, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? No, you go on and read the next account, and we have uh, Hagar and Ishmael figuring into account, and, and Ishmael is driven away. Uh, and, and in this chapter, you see again, it's not just meanness that I don't want Ishmael around my son. Remember, Ishmael is an older teenager at this point in time. And as uh, uh, Isaac is weaned, he's making a mockery of this. You can actually go to, Gen- to Galatians chapter 5, and you have uh, these two covenants that, that Paul talks about, that born of the free woman and that born of the slave. He's talking about this very passage of Scripture, so the New Testament picks this up. And so now when we come to this section, God has kept his promise, and he has a son. And this is the son that is going to be the foundation for the covenant that God is going to keep. And God, in the context of this, is going to swear that, that this is the line through which the ultimate Messiah is going to come. And so Abraham is going to be the channel for God, uh, for God's blessing. Uh, uh, Abraham is not the agent of blessing. He isn't the source of blessing. But you see this? He's the instrument that God is going to use. You know, that's the means that God is going to use to pour out his blessing on the world he created. He created the world for this purpose, that he might stage his love. And this is the beginning of that. He's laying the foundation. So the the covenant task in in chapter 18, I want to go back to that, to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is just and right. Well, the focus is that Abraham is going to be a blessing to the nation. You remember the promise in Genesis 12? You know, uh, there are two commands. You know, go from your father, you know, your fatherland, and I'll give you a land and seed and blessing. Then there's a second command, be a blessing. I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. And you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. Anybody remember Matthew 28, the very last verse? Uh, what's the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of your friends and neighbors. Is that what it says? Nope. What's it say? Yeah. Go and make disciples of all ethnos, all the nations. And, and you see the connection here. It's not like, well, it didn't work here. We're going to do something different here. No, that's what God had from, planned from the very beginning. I wish we had time to go through all of the Old Testament texts, particularly in Psalms and Isaiah, that talk about the nations. You know, and part of the problem becomes it seems like this is not fair. God's just pouring all the blessing on Israel. What about the rest of the nations? Well, it's not that he's going to get the blessing and keep it. He's not going to hoard it. He's going to share it. 
He's going to be a channel of that. So Abraham is to be a blessing to the nations. All nations on earth will be blessed for him. That forms the foundation for our missionary mandate. Why do we send people all around the globe? Because of what God did with them. Abram pleads for Sodom. You know the account of that. Uh, uh, God destroys them. Uh, uh, the covenant oath. Let me just quickly run through this. We, we've covered it already. Uh, uh, but now I want you to look at chapter 22. Okay? So you, you follow the path here that... All of these things are happening now after all of this time, Abraham has a son. Now what does God tell Abraham to do with that son? Yeah, let's look at chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Any of you like tests? <laughs> Uh, he tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, uh, he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I'll tell you about. Now just think for a minute. You're Abraham, or you're Sarah, you're the parents. And God just said, the son that you've been waiting all these years, I want you to go and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. What's God thinking in all of this? Uh, one writer suggested that Abraham had become so attached to a son that God had to break that hold and make him willing to give him up. Let's, let's read on. Early the next morning. I love this. It's not like a month later, you know, next year. Uh, the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked to the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Notice this next phrase. We will worship, then we will come back to you. What's Abraham thinking here? Abraham took the word for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, uh, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? See, Isaac knew enough to know, wait a minute, there's something missing. You know, we got all of this. And look at this answer. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, is there a lot more in there than just, you know, we're, we're going to get a ramp? Do you see how this lays a foundation that's pointing something that's so much greater? God is the one that's going to have to fix what sin has broken. And so he says, God will provide a lamb. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar, ranged the wood, uh, bound his son Isaac, laid him. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife. 
Now, this is the point at which we all love the story because we know that the angel is going to grab his hand and stop and say, now I know that you trust me. And it just so happened that there's a ram caught in the thicket. You know, you talk about luck, right? The luck of the Irish, I guess, St. Patty's Day, we can talk about that, right? You, you see how God's providence, he puts all the pieces together, and here's the ram, and they sacrifice the ram. And every time I read that story, I think about Calvary and God's hand. You know, the father about to drive the knife of justice into his son, but there's no hand to stop him at that point. And this becomes one of the most profound accounts of how God rescues Isaac. You know, and the rest of the story is going to continue, and it's going to go on. God swears by himself that he's going to give him this uh, land and this seed. There is so much here, I I, want to just say a a little bit about it, but I can't say everything that needs to be said. Uh, Christopher Wright wrote a book called The Mission of God, and it's probably the best thing I've ever read about blessing. And he talks about that. You know, he said in chapter 12, I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to bless those that bless you. So cursing is God's judgment on sin. There's misery that comes that God intends. But blessing, on the other hand, and I love the way he develops it, it's creational and it's relational. God created man to bless him to pour out all of the things into his heart, and it was to be relational. He created man in his image so they could relate. He didn't create a pet. You know, he didn't create a prop. He created a person so there could be this relation. So the blessing of God involves a relationship with God. We're in fellowship with him. We commune with him. But it's also missional and it's historical. You know, God has a mission with Abraham through him. The blessing is just going to erupt and flow out to all of God's people. And the history of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel is a history of that blessing flowing out or turning back because of failure. But it's also covenantal and ethical. This this promise of God, this this blessing that he promised, is going to be formalized in the sense of a covenant. And this covenant is going to establish it. And in the context of that, there's an ethical dimension. Abraham had to do some things. He had to leave Ur of the Chaldees. He had to circumcise his son. He had to trust God. And this blessing is not going to be hoarded in one particular group, but it's going to be multinational and ultimately Christological. And what you see in the Old Testament, it's like the line narrows down to Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ, it opens up to being this multinational Christological blessing. Now, friends, those that see God today as this despot who wants to just crush people and make us miserable, they totally misread who God is. 
That is not God's nature. God's nature is to bless. His, his atmosphere is shalom. It's not conflict. It's not the, you know, the, uh, the whole Darwin and the approach of you know, the survival of the fittest. No, it is God's blessing. And that's what God's design was from the very beginning. So Abraham is not only the object of blessing, he's the instrument. Now, I don't know how to make that strong enough to, to get you to see that, that, that Abraham is not there just to get something. He's going to get something so that he can pass it on to somebody else. So what does it say? All nations are going to be blessed. Israel is not going to be pushed off to the side and marginalized. And you hear these two worms, the particularity, these two terms, particularity and universality. Well, the particularity is the means. That is, through Abraham and his seed, there's not kind of an exclusivism here. You know, that just says, no, God's going to bless one group of people. He's blessing them so that it's going to go out to everyone. Well, this, this brings us to the heart of it. Abraham is the father of promise. That makes sense? You see what, what the scripture is telling us here. Jesus Christ is the seed that was promised. When God says to Abraham, you're going to have a son, he wasn't only thinking of uh, Isaac. You know, he was thinking of David. You remember, we'll look at David in a couple of weeks and uh, 2 Samuel 7. I want to build you a, a place, to a house. God says, I'm not homeless. You don't need to build me a house. Tell you what, I'm going to build you a house, a household. And you're going to have a son. Well, he had Solomon. Solomon, you know, uh, is peace. That's what the word itself means. But he's pointing beyond that to Jesus Christ. You know, and, and when you begin to see that, you begin to understand how all of this fits together. Jesus Christ is the promise. I was reading in my, my Bible reading, 2 Corinthians. Uh, and 2 Corinthians, what is it, uh, uh, 3 or 4, where it says, All the blessings of God in Christ are yes and amen. So everything he promised Abraham, it's going to come through. When we come to the New Covenant, we look at Galatians, you're going to see that. But uh, I, I read just a moment ago the Romans 4, 13 through 16. I'm not going to go back to that again. But take a moment, uh, two verses, two sections I want you to, to listen to. Galatians chapter 3. Look at verses 14 through 18. This, this is my favorite section. Uh, in, in the book of Galatians right here. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed as everyone is hung on a tree. Now listen to these words. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Through Abraham? No, through Jesus Christ. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Galatian goes on later to explain that in even more detail. Let's go to one other passage, Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. 
When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. So after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Wasn't empty words that God just threw those things out, but it's exactly what God said he was going to do. If you're going to follow the storyline of the Bible, you have to appreciate this man called Abraham. Abraham was a frail man in many respects. This thing doesn't work because of who he was, that he was the hero. At uh, many points, there were setbacks. But you know, underneath it, who's at work? God's at work. God's going to do what he said. What he promised to Abraham, when Abraham kept thinking, it's not working out, not working out, been too long, we're getting too old, not going to happen. And God said, no, it's going to happen. And I'm going to swear an oath that it's going to happen. And all of that points forward to the one that we worship every Sunday morning, Jesus Christ. Every missionary that goes out, what do they go out to talk about? The blessing of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. When we preach every Sunday morning here, we point people, if we're going through the Gospel of John, we're pointing people to Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John essentially is a trial. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people have been caught up in this Murdoch trial, following all the things that are happening. Well, the Gospel of John is like that, but it's proving. Remember the very end? These things, many other things are written, but these things have written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that by believing you might have life on his name. So all of the things presented in the Gospel of John are to drive you to one conclusion. You know, any jury is going to find out this is truly the Son of God. Now, I promised I was going to leave time for questions, so we've got one minute. So, uh, <laughs> uh, now, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take a couple of more minutes if we need to. But, but uh, again, I apologize. I intended we take the last 15 minutes. There's just too much good stuff in here. And we skipped over a bunch of it. So, anyhow, questions, comments, observations. What's on your heart and mind? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Now, wait a minute. That was another service I used to do. Any, any thoughts, questions? Earlier, we talked about the Tower of Babel. Is there like an image of the dimensions of how big, how many football fields that big it was? I'm sure that information is out there. They, they were called ziggurats. In fact, I put a picture of that up there. You know, this thing that kind of you, you go around to the top. And they were, they were huge. And, but again, I love the fact that you look at these things and say, man, these things are so huge. We're going to build a tower that's going to go up to heaven. Bigger than a pyramid, probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, no, I don't know that they were bigger than the pyramids, but they were, you know, massive structures, you know, that built. And it was to bring glory to themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. And God laughs at that. Nobody's going to build a structure that's going to displace him. Right. Yeah, Stephen? Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and 
he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So yeah. even if the knife is not stayed, right. then God will reverse it and bring back his son. And isn't that a great text? Abraham believed God would, he was going to kill his son. I mean, this wasn't a ruse for him. He was going to kill him. He believed God was going to raise him from the dead. Because he was going back. Do you think that has a connection with anything else that happened in the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> you see how it's all tied together? You know, that what's happening with Abraham, it's going to find its fullness in Jesus Christ. And that, I'm telling you, when we begin to let this go beyond just information that we can chart and diagram and let it sink in our heart and say, if Abraham believed God is able to raise him from the dead after sacrificing him, and so Abraham could say, we will come back, yeah. you know, uh, there Abraham believed God and was counted in for righteousness. You see that again and again, you know, in the New Testament, the, the Genesis 15, 6. You know, so Abraham is the man of faith. And yet there are points that his faith was as weak as ours, you know. And I love that because it says something about this is not some superhero. You know, he's just like the rest of us. Any other questions, comments? I just have one more. Yes. Um, and, and at the beginning, he even knew God was going to provide a sacrifice. Mm. So he either thought, well, he's going to provide a sacrifice or he might kill him and bring him to death. But he was always having faith that God was going to do something. Yeah. That's right. There, there's a sense God has to do it. You know, and that is a message throughout. Adam messed up. Noah failed. You know, Abraham uh, failed at points along the way. But God's not going to fail. You know, and that's why God walked, you know, with the, the fire pot, you know, in making the covenant. It wasn't up to Abraham because we'd already seen the failure of Adam. We'd already seen the failure of Noah. We're going to see the failure of everybody else until one person comes along who doesn't fail. No, and that person is Jesus Christ. And his success is not, you would expect, there's going to be a duel. Satan and Jesus are going to shoot it out. They're going to draw, you know, their pistols. And, you know, it's won. You know, not by a duel, but by him stretching out himself. And I, I love the passage with Pilate. Don't you know... You know, that you're in my hands. I have the power of life and death. And Jesus said, you don't have any power at all. You know, who's in charge there? You know, it's certainly not Pilate. And all of this is happening according to the storyline. Before any of this happened, God scripted this out. But he does it in such a way, point by point, that it finally comes to the crescendo. And so when Jesus is born, I've said this before, you know, when I was born, there were about 20 people that celebrated my birth and knew about it. You didn't. None of you came and celebrated it. Uh, but the same was true with your birth. You know, I didn't show up. What happens when Jesus is born? There are angels. There are wise men. There are stars. There are all of these things that are happening, he doesn't just sneak into this world. Man, he comes on the stage, you know, with a drum roll, you know, the way God does it, you know, not the way the drummers do it today. And, and when he dies, why isn't he just knifed in some corner in Jerusalem? 
Why is he hanging on the cross where everybody can see it with a title? You know, this is the king of the Jews written in three different languages. And when he's raised, you know, God doesn't do things secretly. He's staging this story that's going to focus on his son, Jesus Christ. And if we look at Abraham and Miss Christ, if we look at Noah and Miss Christ, if we look at Adam, if we look at Moses, if we look at David and just see them, and don't see how God used them to get us to that point, we miss the whole flow of the Bible. Because it's not about Abraham, and it's not about Noah, it's not about Adam, it's not about Elijah, it's not about David, not about Moses, it's about Jesus Christ. That's God's promise. And so I love that phrase. All the promises of God in Jesus Christ are yea and amen. Final word, final question. Isn't this better than HBO? I mean, better than Netflix and all the stuff that's on there. Because this is the real story. This is what God is doing. And every great story is a reflection of this story. Let's pray together. Father, give us hearts to see through the clouds of our own confusion and doubt. And to recognize that all of these things have happened. Because in your mercy and in your grace... You've done the impossible. You did it with Abraham and Sarah, and you did it again with Mary and Joseph. And you sent your son into this world, not so that he would come with uh, uh, pomp and power and glory and majesty that was rightfully his, but come in humility. And he would take upon himself the form of a servant, and would lay down his life and die in our place, that he might be raised and ascended and now sits King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, help us to live every day with a confidence that you are the same God that kept promises to Abraham that will keep those promises to us. Lord, give us a heart to be channels of blessing. That was the whole purpose for Abraham. Enable us, Father, to look at every situation around us and to ask you uh, to show us how to channel the blessing of Jesus Christ to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, next week we're going to go on to look at Moses. At the first of the week, I'm going to send you out the slides of that. Uh, and particularly, I'd encourage you to look at Exodus 19 through 24. You know, that's where everything is happening. A lot more, but we're going to go through Exodus through Deuteronomy next week. So we've got a lot to cover. Thank you all for being here. <laughs>